Welcome to what the if nice day for a swim, whether you like it or not. Yeah, that's right. We oh, this is a new yeah. Oh, okay. So you see. Can I turn? So, so we use this thing called Zencaster, which everybody knows. I give them the most publicity about because I fetch about it constantly. And there's an infinity button on the music button, and I still don't know how to turn that off. So. I would say, as a general piece of life advice, is if you see a button labeled infinity, do <laughs> not push it. <laughs> there, there are no good outcomes <laughs> to summoning infinity. Okay, there's see every. Every show, every if we pursue, those shows generate more ifs. And that is a particularly good one. I'm just going to note that down. <laughs> there was an the if button. there was an infinity button and you pressed it in all caps. Uh, welcome, everybody. Um, Matt, would you like to explain to the mystified millions who have just tuned in? WTF is going on. This is the people, this is the place for people who are dissatisfied with reality. Um, if you, you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, what if there was no gravity? Or if you go to the Starbucks and you say, oh, what if nobody knew how to wait in line? Um, this is the place for you. We, uh, we, we take that if, that, that proposed modification to reality, uh, and we run with it. And we figure out what, uh, what things would actually be like. If your particular uh, kvetching uh, came true, that's right. That's very good. Um, and uh, Matt, you are a historian of science uh, until they revoke my license. Uh, yeah, <laughs> at New York um, University could be any second now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then that would be historic. I think first time <laughs> that a historian right. of science had his license revoked. Just revealing that there is a license is, is new. Mm-hmm. That would be um, dramatic. Yeah. Uh, and Gabby Panicia is here as well, who is a virologist at Rockefeller University. And if I feel like there should be a license for virology, but I'm guessing there isn't. Well, I mean, I feel like it's the PhD. The PhD. Yeah. They yeah, could probably right. yoink that if uh, <laughs> yoink. start going down the mad science route. <laughs> That's right. Or, you know, that could go either way. Some of those that might get you a grant, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll, it'll it'll give me a uh, a degree, but from like some weird country that like nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> it's on an island with a volcano in the middle of the Pacific, but they want me to do super villain experiments. Oh yes, yes, yes. I hear that the grad program at Mordor, <laughs> Mordor <laughs> University, is fantastic. Yeah, it, it involves uh, if you're good at metallurgy. By the way, Mordor is uh, mm-hmm. is always it's looking. Right? Yeah, yeah, they give you. The, They'll really give you limit, literally limitless resources. Um, all you have to do is provide your soul. You're fine. Um, no biggie. No biggie. So, uh, some. Uh, oh, and I'm I'm Philip Shane. I'm a documentary filmmaker. And, and actually, speaking of which, uh, there are no licenses for documentary filmmakers. And I actually am thinking that is something we need to start because uh, there's a, you know, when just real quick, real quick, a little story here. When I started a documentary, I worked at a place called Maisel's Films. The Maisel's brothers were two of the people who founded American documentary back in the 60s. Um, filmed the, if you've seen footage of the Beatles arriving in the U.S. and all kinds of stuff, they filmed that. And uh, lots of other stuff. So um, they used to say back then, like, what if someday, what if documentaries were like on television? Imagine that. The <laughs> they should be right. Yeah. And I remember um, Albert Nasels was still alive, the cinematographer, um, when I was working with him, and reality television was beginning. And I remember, you know, yeah. we used to say to Albert, "Be careful what you wish for," mm-hmm. right? Um, terrible. Now we've gotten to the point where all the UFO stuff, and I, if you're interested in UFOs, there's been a lot in the news, and I encourage you to go back. We've we've had a few a few episodes uh, right recently here. Go to whatthehit.com, check them out, or right there on your podcast app. Scroll back. Um, here come the cops here. Yep. Um, just in time. And um, most of the reports that are coming out about UFOs, uh, sightings and things like that, 
come from like one guy. And there's this guy, he, Jeremy Corbell, and he calls himself documentary filmmaker. Yeah. He's got the media, I don't know, wrapped up in his hands. Or, I mean, it's really kind of annoying. Uh, <laughs> CNN. I mean, we're not talking like, oh, yeah, you know, so a blog here or there, or whatever. It's like, CNN, USA Today, New York Times, all these places where it's like Jeremy Corbell has released a new video, right? And it's always really bad quality, shaky. Anyway, and they call him documentary filmmaker. And the guy is like, is so not following any ethics of documentary. So um, this, however, this, what the if which you've stumbled into, this is a safe space for um, Gabby, how... how this is a place where now scientists are allowed. Here's the thing. This is a show where scientists or people who pretend to be scientists or fantasize about being scientists uh, can do things like go outside the bounds of a rigorous, like if you're performing an experiment, for instance, or even when you're writing a paper, right? There's very rigid protocols you follow, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But what, what did this thought experiment thing, which we follow, which Einstein talked about but everybody does it um how would you describe the place where you can go mentally while doing this kind of thing versus when you actually do yeah, re quote real science this is real science but yet it's a part people don't think yeah it's this thing. sort of middle ground where we get to be a little bit hand wavy about some of the methods or the observations you know we don't have to talk about you know how would you build the telescope to watch this event uh, you can just say, eh, we see it, and then describe, you know, what's generally happening. Right. And plus, it's fun, too, because you kind of just get to smash together hypotheticals that may not exist together in nature, but, you know, you can throw enough actual biology at the wall that you can come up with a uh, Cronenberg <laughs> idea. That yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. that's a good way to put it, the Cronenberg. Mm -hmm. um, mm, I had a Cronenberger the other day that was just delicious. So it, was, it was a bit raw. Yeah, uh, I don't think I would. Cronenberger <laughs> would be a hell of a movie. Um, so today, um, speaking of Cronenberg, by the way, so uh, our we have a um, uh, uh, an if, as we call it, sent in an idea for a thought experiment sent in by one of our listeners, one of our most devoted, longtime listeners. In fact, he was even a guest at one point, um, who has a great last name. Uh, that in in the current age of uh, with all viruses all in the news, you may recognize his name is Kyle Crichton, and um, he doesn't know if he's related to Michael Crichton, the great author of, for instance, The Andromeda Strain and uh, one of the great Jurassic sci-fi writers. Yeah. What's that? Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, really great. And uh, um, how, so he doesn't know if he's related. However, his family has claimed that they are related to him for, for no. Kyle's whole life. So we'll go with that. That's fine. You know, um, and uh, Kyle has submitted another fabulous idea. Um, if you have an idea, if this side, uh, if this show spawns an idea in your mind, just a question you'd like to ask, no matter what your background, but science, non-science doesn't matter. No idea is too big or too small. Uh, you can go to feedback. You can email us at feedback at whattheif.com with your idea, or just go to our website, and uh, right there on the front page, there's a little box. You can, uh, send us uh, your thoughts. So Kyle uh, did, he submitted to the website, uh, whattheif.com, and this is his, um, it's interesting, actually, this this idea, and this this sometimes happens, this idea evolves through a little bit of a back and forth with uh, me and him. His, his initial question was, what the if humans... But I, I, I need to play the music. So when mail comes in, I really, I get in the mood. No, that's I put right. on my overalls. Opportunity to use it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, go back to the still in the backyard and pour a little, a little lightning, liquid lightning. And we read the letters. And um, so Kyle writes, what the if humans, let me turn this down a little bit. Oh, come on, the band, the country band. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you for all your energy you bring today. Kyle writes, what the if humans continue to live on Earth 250 million years into the future? How much movement will happen in the tectonic plates? Will the theorized Pangea Ultima 
come back, Francis, or something. And and it was that that was a great idea. Now we have done a little bit of a Pangea thing, I believe, in the past. Um, but what I loved about that was, you know, and I said, "Oh, so there would be like no oceans, whatever." And he's like, "What would that be like?" And so our if today uh, is, "What the if there were no oceans?" You've put on your bathing suit. <laughs> You've packed a picnic basket. You brought your lawn chairs, your umbrella. And I, I was going to say you go to the beach, but I'm not even sure there would be a beach. So that could be a problem. Yeah. We begin by defining our experiments, right? We have so there's certain parameters like. Mm-hmm. Has it always been this way that there were no oceans or did, did this something that developed? Um, of those, I kind of feel like it developing is probably the more interesting one. Like we went from our current world and it is possible that the oceans could dry up, you know. So there, there's our hand waving part, okay. right? Because yeah. some, you know, at some point that will happen. Um, but whether people, whether any living creatures still exist on Earth, we don't know. So let's say it's not because of the heat. heat. Uh, yes, there would be a problem there with um, uh, the atmosphere being able to hold that much water vapor. Right. Oh. Um, that's not a likely outcome. Um, so we, so we, I think we're okay just hand-waving. Interesting. So in other words, well, that, that's just... Go ahead. Yeah, Gabby. Gabby. You know, we say it's somewhere. But it's like subterranean. We got like divided up into puddles. You know, just whatever it is, it's not as concentrated as the ocean itself. Or maybe, you know, some of it evaporated, but not the entirety of the ocean just going up into smoke, maybe. Right. Somewhere, somewhere. I think aliens came and they were thirsty and they were parched, as we might say, and they took all our water. Or they just thought it was really good. They got, they, this is a, a cocktail for them and they. Stolen and back back on their planet in the bars, they're serving, uh, or you know, have a taste of the uh, Earth, o- Earth oceans, and it's all gone. Okay, and that's where we. But then we, from now on, we do our best to limit ourselves to real science. Ramification. Follow the science in terms of the ramifications that come after this bizarre event, and so, um. It's the next day, <laughs> and uh, we, we, you've had the night to sleep on it and <laughs> think about it. You wake up the next day, and you're like, you know how that happens sometimes after like a particularly bizarre, dramatic event or something in the world happens? You wake up the next day, and you're like, but did that really happen? Yes. Um, what, what happens? And let's say, you know, we're in New York. We happen to live on the water. Um, what is well, our okay. experience? So, yeah. So first thing here in New York, you can now, uh, you can walk between the boroughs. Ah. I don't know. I don't know if that's actually a good thing or a bad thing. Right. Um, it's, uh, probably not any faster than uh, how we would have gotten there before. That's right. Yeah. It would not be faster at all. Right. Yeah. Um, but in fact, oddly enough, you would see, it's kind of neat to think about. Like if you drained all the water out of everything, you would see the tunnels, right? They would they would be um, if they rest if those tunnels rest on the the riverbed, as I think they do. Do they? I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the case or not. But you think they just sort of float? No, I think they're buried under the. River oh, under bottom. under. You're right. You're right. It's probably underneath. Exactly. So right. So maybe we don't. So you can still it's a subway. Everything's fine. That's right. If you're if you're only a subway rider. <laughs> No biggie. You never know. Although if you commute by ferry, you're a little screwed. That's right. So Staten Island <laughs> is, is forever uh, banned, which, which some people right. might be okay with, actually. Yeah. 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 So all the ships are, you know, grounded, leaning to the side, all that kind of stuff. Um, um, but I think the uh, one of the first things we've got to be thinking about is that it's going to be getting hard to breathe pretty soon, actually. Oh, really? Uh, because mm-hmm. oceans produce easily half of the oxygen on our fine little planet here. Really? I had no yeah. idea. The it's ocean produces 
the oxygen. It's largest, like 50 to 80% of our world's oxygen. How does that happen? From the plants in the water or? Yeah, from the algae and the plankton. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's, uh, even though they're tiny and actually not particularly dense, um, the oceans are so vast uh, that most of the the plant biomass um, on the planet is in the oceans. Yeah, you know, and that's right. That's something we have to take a, a minute to digest. That mm-hmm. I did, you know, you do learn. There's one one of the basic facts we learn is the Earth is, I believe, it's three quarters water. <laughs> something that's like that. Seventy five percent of the Earth is covered with water. Um, that's a lot. So, in fact, we live, we land creatures, live on only 25% of the surface of the planet. That's actually another way to think about it. I never quite thought of it. It's interesting. And what you're saying is that the air we breathe is made breathable for us by the 75% of the, of the planet, yes. just the oceans. That is like, I learned, you know, I don't know how I didn't get that. I don't, I can't be just me. Um, like I knew the tree in my mind, oh, trees produce oxygen. And so that's where we get the oxygen. I did not think I knew that the oceans absorbed carbon dioxide, right? They, is that right? They play a role in, Mm -hmm. in that as well. But in doing so, do they then also release oxygen? Is, is it that kind of thing? Yeah. So, excuse me. Um, so plants, things like algae, um, breathe in carbon dioxide. Uh, and make their bodies out of the carbon, uh, and then exhale the oxygen, and then we breathe the oxygen and use it to you know, keep ourselves alive long enough to watch cat videos and things. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so those um, little plants, that, that algae in the ocean, um, sucks up carbon um, and gives out oxygen, uh, which are two processes that we desperately need uh, these days. Right? So. Yeah. Now, we don't know how, um, if the aliens used a filter of any kind. Did they want just the water, or did they also want the creatures? I'm going to say to avoid, uh, it's a different scenario if they took all the water and left all the creatures, and now now we have this stinking, <laughs> God, that's, what, that's, that's like a different scenario, which would be interesting, more, a little bit darker. So they took, maybe that's why they took the water. You know, it's sort of like um, when you buy a jar of jalapenos or something. Um, <laughs> it comes with all the, the juice, you know, or sometimes olives. So anyway, they wanted, what they, what they knew, they wanted, you know, they came to this planet and they were like, wow, three quarters of this planet looks delicious. And they just took it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I was right. Like, it would be weird to filter it out. And the rest, they were like, that's dirt. And there are things crawling on it. Mm-hmm. And they built these crusty, Objects that they seem to go in and out of. Let's just leave that on. Okay. So what what happened in that? But all those creatures are gone, right? So how, what, Gabby? What happens now to the the? Yeah, the I think you're going to watch a lot of food webs collapse. Oh. Um, so, I mean, for one, think about how many things besides us eat. Things from the ocean, eat other, eat fish, eat, um, you know, barnacles, mussels, um, even just like smaller marine life. And that's all, that's all gone. Um, especially too, like wetlands are a huge hub of biodiversity and that's all gone now. That's all drained away. Um, maybe, maybe some of it's not. For me, I was thinking like mangroves uh, in Florida, which are like also really big, mm-hmm. you know, hubs of biodiversity. Those are just, you know, kind of sucked away by the alien straw. Um, and so I, you know, one of the weird things that I actually made me think of is in addition to the fact that you've got a lot of food webs collapsing, um, you might start having weird, like, I mean, obviously this is not immediate, but you might have weird erosion patterns because, yeah. you know, I know there's a lot of plants specifically along the interface between water and land that are very good at making sure the land stays land and the water stays water because their roots shore up the shoreline. Uh, like dune um, so grass? Kind of yeah, like mangroves are always a big one. Um, what is, now, what is, so yeah, I don't, what, what's a mangrove? It's a really weird tree that they form these dense clusters in uh, which their, their roots largely grow in water um, and then they, they rise out of the top of them. 
Um, they are super stinky. I love them. Um, <laughs> they become this really interesting hub of, of wildlife where you have, you know, birds in the top of it. Uh, fish will swim around in the bottom, but then eventually stuff will get caught underneath the roots. And so then you get, you know, land building up, uh, grasses maybe, you know, springing up in between there. It, it winds up being a very interesting spot to be. And they're very important for, for coastlines. But I think Florida has been trying to plant a lot of them because when they get hit with hurricanes, it helps the, the erosion not just completely take the, uh, just the shoreline away. Mm-hmm. Now, we both, we both happen to have grown up in Maryland, and I don't remember, like, we would go out to the shore, the shore, um, or I mean, we used to go camping at, like, Assateague Island is a magnificent mm-hmm. park. Did they have mangroves there, or is it more of a southern yeah, it, thing? It's, that's a southern thing, yeah. yeah. So there, that was more like shore grasses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And ponies. Wild ponies. Amazing. Amazing place, yeah. Uh, Misty of Chikatigue. You ever read that book? The real place. The magic is real. Um, Yeah, so so Matt, you go about your day. How Mm -hmm. how would this affect? Now, for instance, as a professor at New York University, you, interesting, you can't, from Washington Square, you don't really see the water. It's, It's not far. You could walk. Um, Yep, that's right. Um, As you say, it might disrupt my Staten Island uh, vacation plans. Right. um, But that's probably not a a major thing. Right. Um, But it would get hard to breathe. Um, uh, Let's see here. The price of food is going to be increasing dramatically, as Gabby suggested. Right. Because the food webs get disrupted. So supply is going to get thin uh, fairly quickly. And obviously Um, seafood. All, there's the seafood a, is right out. Yes, it'll it'll become very cheap for one day, uh, and then <laughs> vanish completely. Um, Everything must go. Yeah. So, yeah. There is uh, a sushi place that you and I have have enjoyed uh, yep, eating okay. at. Right, mm-hmm. um, a roomy right there in Washington Square. If you ever go, check it out. Unfortunately, yeah. Wow, that'd be yeah. the end of that. Uh, and let's see here. It's probably also going to get um, significantly hotter during the summer. Oh. And significantly colder during the winter um, because the oceans are heat sinks too. Right? They uh, they moderate. They hold a lot of heat in because the specific heat of, of water is very high. Um, so this is why if you live near the coast, the weather is more moderate than if you live inland. Um, but now everybody's going to be inland, so right. uh, the wow. temperature swings are going to be much more dramatic. Wow. And I imagine we would have insane dust bowl. Basically, all the oceans are now deserts, right? Uh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, the, the water cycle overall is going to be kind of crazy. Um, Gabby, I don't know if you have a sense of exactly how the, the water cycle. Yeah, I mean, runs. the oceans are really important to that and like in, in kind of nucleating like storm formation and stuff like that. A lot of storms oh, yeah. form over yeah. water and then move in towards land. Um, so yeah, you're gonna gonna have that pretty wrecked. Um, I mean, maybe the grounds might eventually become, you know, fertile because there's, it's not like seabed is completely just rock. Um, there's a lot of stuff underneath there that, you know, plants could eventually take root in provided they had enough water. And especially if, you know, all this algae got left behind, that's going to be dying, degrading, and maybe fertilize the soil but you know again it doesn't really help if you don't have water to, to grow stuff with so you know you might see a couple weeds popping up in the the new seabed before they kind of well, just actually, and die. yeah i think i could we could you know we, we tweak these experiments as we go a little bit and i think they wouldn't when they the aliens came and they took the water again it was just for pleasure as you know one does and um uh so they they weren't they weren't out to like you know take every last dr- they didn't like suck the planet completely dry and so actually i'm guessing there's a considerable amount of water um in the soil or you know in in still left and, mm-hmm. and so the ocean like even the water was all gone it still might be this very damp ground uh kind of like perhaps a wet, and and that things would pretty quickly start to thrive there right so it might be sort of like suddenly this is interesting actually we go from having a crisis in wetlands right because they're being destroyed by developers around the world right and that's a problem mm-hmm. suddenly we have 75 percent of the planet might become 
wetlands, I guess, well, right? It's damp lands. I don't know if that would damp go as land. far as to call them wetlands. Okay, damp lands. Land. Yeah. The, the sort of problem there is, right? If imagine it's it's damp, but now all of this is exposed to the sun. You've got this huge, uh, huge, huge surface area of just kind of puddles. That's going to evaporate pretty quick. Um, I don't know, Matt. Would would you see like a, a boom in, in in storms the next day after that's all of that is just sitting in the sun? Oh uh, well, yeah, that's an interesting question. Is that as you say, that's going to to mess with uh, weather patterns um, dramatically? Uh, yeah, so probably the um, the Gulf Stream, for instance, would probably disappear overnight. Um, uh, so that would be, yeah, so I'd imagine we'd probably have titanic storms as the uh, the atmosphere came to its new equilibrium. Yeah. Um, or the, the jet stream, I think you mean, the jet, because the Gulf Stream would be... Oh, little, well, sorry, the little Gulf little Stream would disappear completely, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> the jet stream would, <laughs> would go along with it. Um, um, now, okay, that makes me think, so the Gulf Stream, um, which, uh, for those who don't know, is a, a current of of water, that of warm water that that rides along the eastern seaboard from... Florida all the way up the, um, much of the way up the east coast of the U.S. and and brings somewhat warm oceans to places like even Ocean City, Maryland. I think. Well, and actually, as far north as as Ireland and Norway. Oh wow! Depend on the Gulf Stream too. Yeah. Right. Oh, right. The weather. Yeah. The or even the fact that the Br- Britain has somewhat temperate climate comes from. Mm-hmm. Okay, so anyway, the, the water's all gone. But that made me think of the Gulf uh, of Mexico, which is a big you know, area on the other side of Florida. And um, there was a massive oil disaster, right? And, and these things have happened all over the place. So for instance, everything we've done to the ocean um, is now exposed. Oh, suddenly visible, sorry. Visible, <laughs> including the Titanic. Right, so there's a boon in archaeology. Um, uh, uh, yeah, well, that's I guess that's right. Yeah, um, and uh, treasure hunters, I suppose, briefly can, uh, yeah. can check out those Spanish galleons that have been laying down there for some years. The would- metal detector hobbyists will be out in droves, legions. Mm-hmm. I say it is kind of. I mean, imagine like the entire Pacific Ocean, right, with all the. <laughs> like everything from World War II is lying there. Um, Take a brief jaunt to the Marianas Trench, you know? Yeah. yeah. Now, one of my favorite places in the Pacific, as we tour the globe, uh, Easter Island. I've never been there. I've always wanted to. Rapa Nui, as it's known, um, with those great statues. A place like that. Um, it's interesting. Right now, the people living on these islands are suffering because the oceans are rising. Right, because of global warming, and some of these ocean, some of these islands, which are like at sea level, are are mm-hmm. disappearing entirely. Um, I think even like the Micronesia, um, anyway. Um, so I'm not sure if that's happening to Rapa Nui or not, but you know, it's like that kind of thing. But suddenly, they are actually not an island. There are no islands in a strange way. They are mountain peaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, and there will be a, a political scramble to uh, redraw borders everywhere. Oh, wow. As well, oh, yeah. Right? Um, wow. You know, Rapa Nui might claim a thousand miles yeah. <laughs> around it as its own. Uh, and who's going who's gonna to tell them no? Um, yeah, U.S. Well, Navy's not going to sail in. There's a lot, of, right. there's a lot of weird maritime borders, though, as far mm-hmm. as who owns what water. I mean, there's international waters, which are now like a weird no-man's land of the sea, but... <laughs> Well, no longer see, but right. <laughs> we at least would. Do you think the nations would just sort of assume, all right, we owned this water, now we we own this this land, and then the skirmish ensues for the international waters? Oh yeah, whatever yeah. the opinion of humanity is, I'd, I'd go with that. All right, I mean, I, c- I could well imagine China just claiming, uh-huh. you know, all of the Pacific up to the edge of Hawaii. Right, they're like, that's just ours now. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, again, who's going to who's going to stop them? Um, this is that this is this funny because this was not part of the experiment that I was even thinking of, and yet it has emerged. And it's pretty awesome. This is it's a, it's another a sub if here or one thing that has happened is what if suddenly the amount of available land on the Earth quadrupled? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Or three times? Uh, there were suddenly three times. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's 
unimaginable how much land that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, not it's necessarily really the beach, but no beach, no, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a, a blessing and a curse, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No more beachfront property. Right. Um, but right. vast amounts of, uh, yeah, whatever this, uh, this area with the, the giant rotting fields of the damp lands. And, yeah. yeah the damp lands. <laughs> um, Gabby, I feel like, I don't know if this is in your wheelhouse, or not, but I feel like insects would just flourish in a damp land. Honestly, insects will flourish right. everywhere. There was like one naturalist or something, I love this quote, and uh, someone asked him like, you know, you've studied the natural world so well. Like, what can you tell me like about the nature of God from his creations? And he responds, he has an inordinate fondness for beetles. And I do believe this would be a spot in which, yes, you'd probably see a lot of bugs. Just, you know, as soon as there are plants, the bugs would come too. And yeah. you'd have vast tracts of those bugs. Yeah, I just think, I mean, being someone who could not stand bugs, I don't like bugs, especially mosquitoes or something. But when I think of damp lands, I just think of like huge swarms. I mean, imagine if it's like... 75% of the earth suddenly became, you know, fertile ground for, mos- for mosquitoes. Well, you still have yeah. the problem, though, that how many things would live in this? So mosquitoes need standing water to lay their eggs. Hmm. So if you've got no standing water, or unless like standing water only in human settlements, that changes things a lot, especially with the dynamics of mosquitoes themselves, oh. because there are species of mosquitoes that feed almost exclusively on certain animals and there are species of mosquitoes that feed almost exclusively on humans and if the only water left is around people you're probably going to see a huge surge in or at least a preferential surge in disease spreading mosquitoes as opposed to more natural ones and this is of course assuming that not everything is instantly dead from the uh no water hurricane influx uh or what have you uh, just the cataclysm at all, assuming things yeah. survive. Actually, no hurricanes, right? So that would be a... Well, whatever we said would happen with the damp lands of yeah, all yeah. of that damp water evaporating within the space of maybe 24 to 48 hours. Yes, yeah, stinky hurricanes. Really I, That's the thing I can't get over is the smell would be. And maybe this is, again, a New York-centric view. Mm, but smell I just would be insane. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, do we have any hope? What might we do now to uh, can we get water what do we do now can we we re any way we're in in bad shape well i mean you you make water by taking two hydrogen atoms and an oxygen atom putting them together Um, but usually you get hydrogen atoms by taking it out of water so that plan is not a good one uh-huh. Um, the, so we could go primordial and we're like, well, our water probably came from comet impacts, uh, a few billion years ago. Like so it. let's get a comet and steer it into our planet. Yeah. Um, unfortunately smashing comets into the planet has unfortunate other side effects like killing everything. Right. Um, it's a downer. So we would, so we would want to get a comet, bring it close to the sun, slowly let it melt, you know, and we'd have to build giant buckets. Space buckets, uh, water balloons, and then ferry those gently down to the surface. Or we blast it into a dozen pieces before we let it run into Earth. Yeah, smaller um, ice cubes. Yeah, if we yeah, break it into, cubes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, break it into like Volkswagen-sized ice cubes. Um, so it's like a Slurpee, like a like a big gulp into the atmosphere, um, and then they'll they'll explode on the way down or and turn into rain. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe it would be an interesting calculation to figure out how long it would, uh, how, how much rain it would take, how long it would have to rain uh, to refill the oceans. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing a few million years. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, this reminds me strangely of this. I don't know if you, this was required reading for anyone other than like my, like, I feel like I read this story or something like that it was like, it was a kid, kids on like, I think it was Mars where they were terraforming or something like that. And it rained for like eight years. And there was one day of sun 
Nice. Something like that. I, I remember this like acutely from like some like elementary school like literary anthology. It messed me up, guys. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. the fact that pretty cool story though. But. Yeah, and so so we you were afraid when it rains. You're afraid. No, it was just, that was their whole life. It was always raining. It was always gray. Mm-hmm. And then there was one day of sunshine. And there was this poor right. kid from Earth who was so excited to see it again. And they like shoved her in a closet because they bullied her and she missed it. <laughs> <laughs> this does sound like a good kids book. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of lessons going Short on. Story. They had us yeah. probably that for like a really test. Cool. I mean, what's interesting is we are talking about terraforming the earth, you know, and interesting. This is kind of, a, I, I do love this. Again, I always feel like there must be. I'm sure there's a science fiction author who has written, you know, a story, maybe even multiple ones on this, but I, I don't know about it. And this just seems like an awesome premise. Um, but uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's fantastic trilogy, which I. Highly recommend. I've mentioned it many times. Red, Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars, three books, mm-hmm. um, is all about that. How do we do that? And um, I'm trying to think if Steering Comets to Mars was part of it. Um, part of what he did there was actually heat up the planet to bring yeah, the water was, out. His, yeah, his big focus was temperature. Um, I don't yeah. recall him having to So we might, comets. on Earth, that might happen naturally. Perhaps it's with the damp lands. There may be there's some some might happen, but uh, mm-hmm. we definitely would would need the comets. In fact, what's interesting is how many comets would we need, and would that use up the Oort cloud, which oh, is no, where no, we no, wouldn't, see? wouldn't even dent the Oort cloud. Um, all right, we can uh, let's see. Right. I'll have Google do some calculations. Gabby, do you know about the Oort cloud? I do not know about the Oort cloud. I'm very uh, fascinated to hear about the Oort cloud. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, the Oort, Oort cloud is named after um, the Danish astronomer Jan Oort, um, who Great postulated. Name. So there's the, there's sort of a trick you can do. So if you sit down with kind of a map of the solar system and draw the orbits of long period comets on it, um, you'll notice that the... Uh, the aphelion, the far part of the comet's orbits, are all roughly at the same distance um, from the sun. So this suggests that uh, there's a large body of comet-like objects floating out there in this in a cloud around the sun, uh, probably left over from the, the the primordial sort of collapse of the solar nebula. Uh, and that what we see as comets are actually these chunks of ice from this interstellar cloud uh, that get nudged loose every now and then and come hurtling in towards the sun and then zip back out again. Uh, so this is so this is way distant. This is like past Pluto, way past Pluto, way past trans-Neptunian objects. Um, this is the kind of thing you run into when you're trying to travel to another star. Um, and it's uh, it's huge. Like I said, it's it's gigantic. So if we were harvesting these, it would mm-hmm. take us decades to be able to even bring the first ones back to Earth. That is exactly right. This this would be a, a long term civilizational project. Um, we're better off. We're probably better off catching a comet as it's coming into the inner solar system and deflecting it than going out to harvest one. Um, yeah, but pretty cool. What's interesting is the solution is there. Another what we're saying is in the Oort yeah. cloud, for mm-hmm. instance, and before that, the Kuiper Belt, for what that's that's worth, right? Which is uh, where Pluto is, um, which is a, a closer in range right, of closer. icy objects, um, going to be considerably smaller because it's a much much smaller diameter, but still not not something to sneeze at. Um, we uh, the solution exists for us to re. Um, hydrate the earth stay hydrated earth and actually once we're doing that we might as well drop them off at mars you know um like if if once if we got the if if this caused if this crazy thing happened but it caused us to to accelerate our our uh, solar engineering whatever you call it um projects and we were able to harvest the water in the oort cloud the entire solar system becomes our guard. Uh, well, that's right. Because the, I guess the flip side of this is that the scale of the resources available there um, is, is so uh, mind-boggling that uh, if we actually had the ability to um, to manipulate those resources, we could do amazing things. Right? Provided, of course, we're not all dead. 
That's right. <laughs> Still um, the heavy asterisk on this if. <laughs> Most should be all dead. Um, I think Elon Musk would be the first one out there. He'd, he'd get his sports car. He's already got a car in space. So. Oh, well, that's great. So that's a no biggie, right? Get yeah. me to my car. <laughs> and I will I'll get out there and that start actually brings up an interesting question. Would it be easier to just be off Earth if you could uh, that's right. if you can leave Earth, why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring mm-hmm. yeah. a smaller amount of people, but just like all the resources. If you say we figured out, you know, vat grown food, stuff like that. Would it be easier to be in Well, space? that's an interesting thought, right? Is that the, the disappearance of the oceans would be so devastating to the ecosystem here? Right, oxygen, food, weather—that um, we might be just better off living in artificial habitats and just giving up on the planet. That would be kind of wow. Yeah, that's a good premise, actually. I mean, yeah, artificial habitats on Earth sounds a little bit more sustainable too, because if you can make like a oh, right course, reset like gravity, a little yeah. cab bubble, you've got enough mm-hmm. water in there, and yeah, maybe you lose a little bit of entropy or whatever, but you know, you've got better off in space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I, and I should say, I just finished my calculation. It, it would take a, about a million comets to refill the ocean. Oh, festive. Oh. Just, just a million. No yeah. big deal. <laughs> the Pentagon moves millions, don't they? I think they have millions of comets they move a day. Uh, yeah, sure. And, and how, how many comets do we regularly get inside the solar system? How many of them? Oh, uh, well, we get one every couple of years. Okay. Um, so if we're waiting... So we would have to go harvest the Earth cloud um, if we if we really wanted to refill um, the ocean. It's kind of fascinating to think about those comets when they come by as the attitude would be different. It wouldn't be like, hey, go out and let's go out and look at Hale-Bopp, which was an amazing experience. But like, finally, you know, it's like like when farmers, you know, you after a long. Yeah. yeah, it's like after mm-hmm. a, literally a drought of <laughs> global proportions, here comes a comet. Woo! So whatever few, you know, maybe there's much, much fewer people left on the planet, either through survival or evacuation, but they would regard these, literally it would be... Uh, mm-hmm. Manna you know, from like, heaven. Manna from heaven. Yeah. <clears throat> or at least like a um, snow cone <laughs> from heaven. Um, uh, this takes me, uh, to, to go even further, I like at the end, to, to hit, as I say, hit the gas pedal and go really, really far. Um. Gabby, what might this, um, what interesting biological thing might come from such a massive stress on the thing? I, when you say survival, I imagine a little evolution. It's sort of like can evolution well, so, keep up? Or, uh, what we call like a, a selective pressure applied a little bit over a long period of time is evolution. Selective pressure applied very hard, very fast is extinction. Um, so I think we're looking more at extinction, but we're like, you know, vast swaths of extinction. But what things do remain over the next million years plus will evolve. So, I mean, you might see, for instance, a large amount of desert creatures that do better. Uh, desert creatures have a number of adaptations to water conservation. Um, so for example, camels' nostrils are extremely good at reharvesting the water in their breath. Um, coincidentally, also why it seems like they aerosolize MERS. Um, you have creatures with very, very large ears or other protrusions that run blood out into the environment to cool it down, get it away from the body before bringing it back in. Um, you have creatures that adapt really, really strange locomotion patterns uh, to get around including uh, spiders that follow shade. Um, so it looks like they will chase you. It seems like they will chase you across the desert. Uh, sort of cartwheel. I think there's like a cartwheeling spider. Um, there are like Saharan silver ants that are covered in like these little spiky polychrome, they're like silver bristles and they reflect the sun's heat. Um, so you might find after, if you're, you know, went off into space, you're like, I'm out of here. And then came back, you know, your ancestors you know, 20 million years later, you'd find the Earth would probably be a weirder place if the life had to adapt to much harsher, hotter climates. Yeah, yeah. And we have to say that Earth would still be, you know, for all its inhabitability, as far as from our perspective, way more habitable than Mars is now, right? I mean, it would 
Uh, yeah, so at the very least, uh, it would be much warmer uh, than Mars, which is a, a huge thing. And even if we only have half the oxygen we did before, that's still a lot more than Mars has. Yeah, are, are, and Matt, are there the, the thing about us going to the Oort cloud and then it generates and it creates all these other ramifications that we didn't expect? Are there examples of that, like in history, where somebody was here on a very, very tiny scale? I was I was out walking today, and and uh, because of the pandemic, when you you couldn't eat inside, it was everything was bad. So all the restaurants in New York were allowed to build like little outdoor, rest little outdoor seating areas, right? Mm-hmm. And they're everywhere, and then they're beautiful. Like they keep getting more and more yeah, advanced, yeah. and I think they're gonna. They, there's uh, people saying hey, we're gonna see if we can make keep those right. And there's certain streets that were closed off so people could walk. Our street, in particular, it's a pedestrian street now. Um, they say, let's try that. So these are little things that became bigger, but on a much bigger scale, are there stories of um, a civilization that was forced to do something? And then, then that led to this crazy thing that they didn't even. Uh, well, I mean, in this spirit, this is the, um, this is the civilizations that collapse from climate change of various sorts um, tend to have things along these lines. So, for instance, the the Incans um, had a, a system of intensive uh, farming um, with intensive uh, agriculture. Uh, but then as the population grows, they have to expand those areas of intensive agriculture into less productive areas. Um, and that's all fine until um, the overall climate gets a little drier and suddenly those marginal areas are no longer productive at all. Um, and the civilization ends up collapsing, um, even as they try to expand their uh, uh, their sort of fertile area. Right. So I think that's a story that happens uh, a fair bit is um, civilizations come under pressure, try to get more resources, but then there's diminishing returns from those resources and they end up collapsing. Yeah. Or basically mass mass migrations, which may or may not succeed. Uh, mass migration, yeah, would be one of those effects. That's right. So yeah. for instance, in our no oceans scenario, suddenly uh, near the Great Lakes is a pretty awesome place to live. Um, so we might get, you know, the whole population of New York, New York city walking up to say Rochester, um, to be by the lake. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's water there. Well, it'll be interesting to see what lifestyles wind up benefiting Mm -hmm. people. So for example, if you're a fisherman and you're one of those extreme boater people, you're probably a little bit out of luck, but you know, maybe you are someone who goes recreationally desert. I don't know if there's a term, desert walking, what have you. And you're just used to surviving in a desert. Like, you know, I, I think of, yeah. you know, the Mongols were nomads and they needed horses to constantly move back and forth between areas that yeah, right, had yeah. resources where they could live. And then lo and behold, hey, this actually turns out to be a really good way to conquer like the world. Um, so who knows what the the uh, new age of no water may look like and whose random skills and culture helps them uh, yes. Survive. Yeah. Actually, that gives me a really cool image uh, of what we would find at the at the end of potential. What the Earth looks like here at the end is that. First of all, it reminds me of Dune, one of the great science fiction novels. Mad or Mad Max. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, but in, in Dune, there are the people who who live in. I think Frank Herbert, you know, studied people like the Bedouins who live in the desert and survive on very very little water. Um, the the uh, civilization that lives and tries to live naturally the, yeah. the things they have they, they wear suits that collect their sweat still suits yeah yeah all this stuff um very cool and then you know you think about that reminds me of like well the people who built petra um in the desert these civilizations mm-hmm. in the yeah. desert the Bedouins the, will take over the world yeah. yeah the nazca lines or you know that a place where there is water found will become extremely important and uh, it will be, yeah, I love what you said, like the Great Lakes, there'll be these, everybody will re- readjust. Kyle Crichton, thank you very much. Um, your uh, your relative, I, I don't know if it was actually in the book, if it's a line in the book of Jurassic Park, but uh, uh, Michael Crichton uh, said, uh, life finds a way, as they say yeah. in Jurassic Park. So it could happen. I'm more optimistic. Oddly enough, I'm optimistic about this. Um, so... Uh, you know, I've seen Phoenix or Vegas. I think I think Earth, knowing humans, I think basically uh, United United States 
<laughs> Earth becomes a gigantic gambling stopover um, for the aliens. for the aliens on their yeah, way. To... I think that would probably like because they let's not forget that the the whole scenario. Wait, if aliens stopped here, they know about us, so they you know might very well come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for that uh, submission, um, Kyle Cripe. One of our super duper duper efforts. I have to count up how many ideas we can go. He's fantastic. And shout out to all our other super uh, and keep, keep those ideas coming. Fantastic. Um, Matt, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, no, nothing exciting going on. All right. Gabby, anything you'd like I to plug? I am similarly acoustic unplugged. Nada. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like today's episode was sponsored by Dasani. Maybe or Nestle. Yeah. Nestle. Doesn't Nestle have a long track record of uh, stealing water from places? So that would suck. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Um, have a cold brew uh, on us and think about how glad you are that the oceans exist and that they are pumping out oxygen. Yes. Be grateful. Um, and and now, now I'm a little bit jealous about the dolphins and the whales because I think they might be taking some of that. So I'm not sure. Uh, speaking of whales, we have a, a wonderful guest, um, Dr. Vanessa Parada, who's a whale expert who will be joining us. Future, we have a lot of other exciting guests coming. So check that out. Um, email us at feedback at whattheit.com. Matt, what are we doing? And then let's do it. Uh, well, as we see the uh, horde of desert spiders cartwheeling towards us, um, I think we have no choice but to scream. What? what? The... The... Yay! See you next week, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>